Today's episode of Beyond the Mask is presented by the insurance specialists at BrightThink Wealth Strategies. Find the disability insurance coverage that fits you best right now. Email Robert Smith at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. The show is also made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. Get a free consultation today to be guided through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Just visit crnafinancialplanning.com. And don't forget, listening to our podcast can earn you Class B credits. For more information on how you can submit them, check out the CE Credit tab on our website, beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs and advanced practice nurses with certified financial planner Jeremy Stanley and CRNA Sharon Pierce. Jeremy Stanley has worked with CRNAs for more than 23 years, and Sharon Pierce is a former president of the AANA and the NCANA. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA and advanced practice nurse industries. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7. Sharon, how are you today? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing well, doing well. Can't complain. So, you know, I had an interesting happenstance the other day. (laughs) Um, I know. You sent me a little video that uh, was a little reflective of that. So, why don't you tell our listeners what happened at your house recently? Yeah. So, you know, I have two podcast studios. I have one set up at the house, which, uh, you know, I record at sometimes. And and then I've got another at at the office, which is really our our true studio. But um, so I come in to the house in my office and Holland and Landon are in here and they've got my headset on. They're like pretending that they're me and you. <laughs> and, you know, they're, they're both spouting off stuff and, and Holland's going, yes, and nurse anesthesia and finance. And Sharon, what do you think about that? <laughs> and then you know Landon's standing there and of course he takes the rein and then he starts talking and then he says something and he's spouting stuff off and he goes yes and Sharon what do you think <laughs> and so I you know I got him on video and sent you a video of it so you know you had this great idea maybe one day we'll bring him on the show oh I think we we should yeah. we, we're gonna have to do that <laughs> She was doing pretty good. She was doing. Me. She was rolling. I mean, she even got oh. the southern accent and everything. And and her hands mm-hmm. as she was talking. Oh yeah. Of course, uh, uh, the even better story in my mind is uh, what she did at the NCANA meeting because we're sitting there. Pierce is DJing because she also always Holland always helps Pierce DJ when when she's there, and she said something about well. You work for my daddy, don't you? And I said, no, your daddy works for me. <laughs> oh, yes. She out. immediately came over and asked me about that. I told her that wasn't the <laughs> sure real truth. She but. did. I'm sure she did. Well, you know, I am totally souped up and stoked about this. This, Absolutely, I know you are. This one we've got today. This you one's going to be another one good one, another one from from your court. I'm going to say. So why don't you, out of the norm here, why don't you introduce our speaker? Okay, I would be happy to, and it is out of our norm. So you're being so very gracious. I thank you for that. This is Darlene Curley. 
And um, I will let her in, tell her background a little bit more, but she served in the state legislature in Maine. And you know how I feel about nurses serving in the legislature. We don't have enough. And I was fortunate enough to meet her when I was inducted into FAN, and she had been in FAN for a long time. So I texted her over the app and said, I would love to meet you. And she was gracious enough to meet me um, and let me pick her brain. So, and then I twisted her arm to make her get on the podcast with us. So Darlene, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background and what we're here to talk about today? Well, thank you, Sharon and Jeremy. Um, I really love the Beyond the Mass podcast. It's like so informative and forward thinking. And so many of the issues that you are discussing really relate to healthcare policy and advancing healthcare for everyone and also advancing the nursing profession and nurse anesthesia. So I, I really want to give you, you know, a, a shout out for the work that you're doing. I have been so fortunate in my career um, in healthcare and as a nurse. And volunteering and community engagement has always been uh, a strong value in my family and my church and my community. And when I completed um, a graduate school in public health at the University of Maryland and returned to my home state of Maine, um, I co-founded and led a home care agency in rural Maine. I thought, well, no one's providing services for elderly or vulnerable patients or children with chronic illness. And maybe I'll have 10 nurses working and maybe we'll have, you know, it seemed like maybe 50, maybe 50 patients. And in one year, we had over 100 providers servicing people in three of the uh, poorest rural counties in the western part of the state. And one of the great learning for me um, was the impact of healthcare policy on serving vulnerable patients. And these are issues that are really important also for uh, CRNAs. I mean, the, the list is similar. Full practice authority, uh, mm -hmm. payment reform, mm -hmm. access, quality, and affordability of care. Yeah. So that really, it, it, it really took my interest in community engagement and volunteering to the policy level because it really had an impact on the patients and families that I was working with every day. So how did you make the leap from that to running for office? Uh, well, the governor of the state invited me to be on a, a panel um, of a commission to develop a long-term care workforce initiative. And at the same time, um, my state legislator, we have term limits in Maine, so every they can serve eight years and then you are not uh, able to run again for the House or the Senate. And she said, you know, darling, why don't you run for the legislature? And I said, well, uh, let's see, I have three kids. Uh, my mother-in-law lives with me and she's ill right now. I teach at the university and I run a business with 100 employees. And she said, I'll call you back in two weeks. She said, you know, uh, uh, one half of the issues at our state are related to healthcare, mm. and you need to be able to budget and understand workforce and understand money and policy. And you are the perfect person for this. In two weeks, she called me and I said, 
I appreciate you reaching out to me. And not only will I run, but I am expect to win. And um, I decided to run. Wow. And actually, my opponent dropped out after they found out that I was running. Um, they did a little polling and they dropped out. So that was a nice little gift. My first, uh, my first term. And, and it really was, uh, it's such an honor to represent your constituents. And I think that's the, that's the main thing for nurses who serve in state legislatures or at the federal level, your number one priority <clears throat> is to serve your constituents. And they have lots of issues, but healthcare issues, medication issues, Medicaid, Medicare, so many of the issues are related to healthcare issues and uh, legislators role is to help them get through all of the red tape at the state level or the local level with government and policy to help them get the, the best outcome that they can and i was i served two terms in the state legislature on both health and human services and appropriations committees and then I was um, honored and invited to run for Congress. And so I uh, won the primary and I was a, a congressional candidate in Maine's first district. Wow. Well, you also mentioned early on that, you know, this was something that is in your family or other folks in your family involved civically as well. Um, I think they were they were involved primarily volunteers, but no okay. one um, was involved in politics. That was sort of looked at as not a positive kind of thing. And when you run, you, I mean, it was clear for me, I had to understand that uh, because of, um, you know, your politics might be different from people in your family. And I thought, well, I don't even think my mother's going to vote for me. Um, but, um, but then you, but you know, you have, you have such a strong feeling about service and public service to your community and to improving health care that that carries you through the the political part and the political right. the political component is really the engine that moves policy so it's it's for nurses there um and for anyone running um for office the policy is very important but also you must be interested in the political piece because again that is the energy that you need to move your policy forward right Right. So why is it so important for nurses, especially to serve in office, Darlene? You know, you've made some points here, but there, there's so many points. And, you know, we were actually discussing something we'll get into in a minute dealing with Sharon and, and, and her husband. But just give us a little bit of background about that. Well, I think the, the pandemic really highlighted for the for the entire country the importance of healthcare issues at the state level and every state dealt with it in such a different way um, whether it was vaccines or masks or school health or work shortage of workforce state budgets all of those things and nurses have the education experience and boots on the ground uh, work to really understand what needs to happen to improve the health of families and your community and, and the state. Um, and there aren't, you know, there are other professions, you know, I, I really want to thank our, our other healthcare professionals who are running and serving in office as well. It's very important, but there just aren't enough of us. And as we think about, I, I mean, I, um, 
There are over 7,000 state legislators serving every year in, um, in the state legislature, but we have a real shortage of nurses and we have a downward trend in the number of nurses that are serving in state legislatures wow. right now. A downward trend. Well, I want to get into that because you did a study on that. But before we go down that path, you were just talking about the pandemic. Mm-hmm. In your opinion, would the pandemic have looked differently if more nurses would have been in positions of power and in charge? The one thing that would have made a huge difference, uh, Sharon, is that there would be nurses in every state having a strong voice and making decisions as an internal advocate and policymaker. We have nursing um, and other healthcare professions as well are excellent external advocates and they ask elected officials to make decisions, but you're on the outside. And when you're a nurse or a healthcare professional that is an elected official, you're actually drafting that policy yourself. You're not asking someone else, can you please add this to your policy? Can you please amend your policy? Can you please, please, please? And when you're an internal advocate, an elected official, you are saying, I am drafting this legislation with my colleagues together. And we are going to move that forward. Will we take external suggestions from advocates? Yes, we will. But we will be leading and developing the policy that we know that our state needs instead of just asking for amendments and changes here or there. We can't be satisfied with that. Yeah. So what I'm hearing you say is that the pandemic could have looked differently if nurses who were really the boots on the ground would have been participatory in the decision-making process. Leading the de- leading. I the love that. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly, exactly right. You described it perfectly. And also nurses are the number one trusted profession. Right. And to be that internal voice, it would have helped so many people that really didn't know who to listen to because there were so many competing voices on the about the pandemic. Oh, I like that. I don't think we've ever really talked about that, but she's exactly Mm-mm. right. That's true. And, you know, it just popped in my head, Darlene, as you were talking, you know, uh, that, that could have been one of the very well reasons your opponent dropped out. I mean, you do seem like maybe you could have beat somebody up if you wanted to, but, um, <laughs> you know, but I mean, seriously, you know, you, you run up against a nurse and you guys do have a very trusted reputation. You're honest and trustworthy, and you've got people's best interests at heart. All the things we want from our politicians and don't get. Well, and nurses, you know, make great legislators because nurses know how to uh, set priorities, assess a lot of competing information, right? Uh, work with others to solve problems, mm. and collaborate on solutions. And that makes them excellent legislators. You know, when you're trying to develop a bipartisan policy, you know, it's very different to say to an entire group, I want our state to be healthier. I want my constituents to be healthier. Does everyone agree with that? 
everyone raises their hand. Yeah. Everyone wants that. And it's and nurses are really great at looking at health and improved health number one, and then working on all the policy issues to get there. Well, you know, again, I'm looking at this from a completely outside viewpoint. I, I think that, yes, everyone says they want that and they're championing that. But then when it comes down to what that's going to cost and what's gonna, who's going to have to sacrifice in order to do that, that's where the rubber meets the road and things start to split apart. Um, everybody wants it, but how do we do Nobody it? Nobody wants to pay for it. Right. And they don't want to take money away from their little slice of the pie to add to this slice of the pie to make it happen. Um, and, and that's really so many things in this world come down to money. I know, Sharon, you hear me talk about it all the time, but it's so true. I mean, you know, elections are won on money. You know, people die because of money. People live because of money. You know, I mean, there's a lot of a lot of things that that money clouds in in the decision making process. And um, I, I'm sure you experienced it a lot in your career thus far. Right. And that was a really great thing. And I really uh, commend the governor for appointing me to both health and human services and appropriations, because mm. health and human services is where all the policy decisions are made about health and the regulations. But Jeremy, as, as you said, if it's not funded, a good idea is dead. There's, right. You know, it's not going to move. The good thing about having uh, legislators on both health and human services and then appropriations is that you're able to work with others to get the funding. And that's why nurses, it's critically important for nurses to have knowledge and experience with budgets and finances if yes. they are going to serve in the legislature. A policy is dead unless it's funded. Mm. And it's it's critically important to be able to move something forward to the, to the funding stage. And nurses, nurses are great at doing that. So let's talk a little bit about the study that you have completed. Um, and that's what I was so thrilled to whenever I learned about you and your work. So why don't you let our listeners in on what an amazing study you just completed? Um, I realized that there wasn't, when I was served in the legislature, I knew there were other nurses in legislatures around the country, but I had no idea uh, who they were or where they were. And I knew that we probably were advancing similar policies and developing similar policies. So I did an audit uh, in 2022. I completed it in 2022. And I looked at how many nurses were serving in state legislatures um, in the states. And I'll just give a couple of numbers here. So in, in 2020 to 2022, uh, there were 76 nurse legislators serving in 36 states, which means there 14 states have no nurse legislators, no nursing <clears throat> science, internal advocates, policymakers in Alaska, Arizona, California, Florida, Hawaii, Illinois, Kansas, Nebraska, Nevada, New Mexico, South Carolina, Tennessee, Utah, and Wyoming. And we look at some of these states and you think some of these states have the largest population in the country. We have California, California, California. Yeah, Texas, Illinois, Florida. Mm -hmm. So how many people in the country do not have nursing science or a nurse, the voice of nursing 
in their state legislature developing policy. And from my point of view, that uh, that has to change. We could talk about that in a minute. But now just looking at the, those 76 nurse legislators in 36 states, um, 14 were state senators, 62 were representatives, 37 Democrats and 39 Republicans. And 73 of, of the 76 were appointed or led health-focused committees in the state, mental health, veterans health care, um, health and human services, um, health care policy committees, children's health. So, I mean, that is the great thing. In the states where there are nurses in the legislature, they are leading all of the policy discussion um, of health care and health care reform and, you know, really addressing quality access and affordability. So that's very exciting and really supports, Sharon, you know, you, you're you speaking about the importance of nurses in, in legislators, legislatures. Now, um, there's, there's a 10-year downward trend in the number of, of state legislators that are nurses. And so in 2012, there were 97 nurse legislators compared to currently 76. Wow. And in 2012, there were 39 states with nurse legislators compared to 36. Um, the, the past election in November, we have some mixed results. The good thing, I'll give you the good news, is that nurses appeared on ballots in 43 states. And that's good. That's, you know, you have to run to win. And I really want to commend all the nurses that run. Like it is, uh, it shows great focus and commitment to healthcare and your state's health to put your name on a ballot and and to get, a, get out there and be a voice. Um, some other good news is that all six legislators in nurse legislators in Maine were reelected. Four um, in North Carolina, Georgia, and South Dakota were all reelected. And that's good news. I mean, that's that's like saying great job and we need you to come back and serve again. And on the lieutenant governor elections, former state representative Sarah Rodriguez was um, is the is the lieutenant governor elect in Wisconsin, a nurse, and she's joining current Delaware uh, nurse lieutenant governor Bethany Hall Long. So we're going to have two lieutenant governors, and that is a pathway to governorships. So that's very exciting on the state level and on the federal level. Also, I mean. Some good news is that um, we currently have three nurses as uh, representatives in Congress in 2023. After the past election in November, we are still going to have three serving in Congress. So that's good news. Uh, the mixed results, and we won't really know until mid the end of, of uh, January, um, who really will be serving. That's the swearing in date, but it looks like there are going to be fewer nurse legislators in fewer states starting in January. And um, I will be publishing that information in mid to late January. And I'll, I'll be happy to share a link with you to, to put on your, on your website. Have you thought about what would happen if you weren't able to work for two or three years? You know, on average, 25% of people will file a disability claim. And most of us aren't prepared for that loss of income. Every CRNA needs to protect their biggest asset, yourself and your ability to earn with a disability insurance policy. We recommend contacting Robert Smith. 
a master disability insurance specialist with more than 30 years of experience and 1,800 CRNA clients to find the coverage that fits you best. The best way to do that is to send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com. Or call him at 504-394-6557. So, so darling, why do you think that the trend is going downward? You know, you know I know that Sharon and, and other folks like you are, are really advocating for nurses to be involved. Um, and... and you know, just from my outside viewpoint, that seems to be happening more and more. Why is the trend down? Any idea? Well, the research has been done on that. And um, I think, uh, you know, there's some sort of consistency about there's a lack of uh, preparation and education uh, about running for office for mm-hmm. nurses. And my personal opinion is that the nursing profession has not come together to say this is really important and we are going to field nurse candidates in all 50 states. I mean, I think, and I know Sharon agrees with this and many other nurse leaders, is that now is, you know, we need to have a call for action that starting in January, nurse professional organizations get together and say, we are going to field a nurse candidate in all 50 states in 2024. It takes two years to prepare, get ready, get on the ballot. And and I'm very optimistic that we can do that. But up to this point, there has not been a leading nursing organization to take this on. Um, And that's um, uh, while I think that that should happen, it hasn't happened. So you move on from that. And I'm, I'm excited about discussions that are ongoing amongst many of us who are saying we are all going to work together and work with all the professional organizations to field nurse candidates and support them to run in all 50 states in 2024. So describe ways that you can support your elected nurses. Yeah, it's very important. First of all, you know, thank your current nurse legislators, even if you don't agree with all of their policies. Um, there are things that you do agree with them about, even if your politics are different. We have core principles that we all agree on. So thank them. Um, secondly, invite them to come to your hospital, your clinic, your um, university, your college and speak to, and speak to the nurses who are employed there, you know, make them feel welcome, support them financially by making a donation to their campaign and also attend their events that they have and bring other nurses to meet them. You know, they, nurses want their constituents, their communities and their state and nation to be healthy and, and really support them. And, and also if you have a state where there are, you know, many nurse leaders around the country are not aware of that their state doesn't doesn't have a nurse legislator serving. So we really need to inform ourselves. And, and that's why I'm so happy to be speaking today and want to share the data, you know, because, you know, if you know that you don't have an, a nurse legislator in California, you know, there's California is very active in nursing policy in many other fronts. And to me, like they are the place to start having nurse legislators on the ballot in Illinois, Florida, and other states as well. Yeah, 
Absolutely. What are some ways that you can get started in public policy, Darlene? That's such an important point. I mean, um, starting at the at the university level and college level, it's now a requirement for nursing programs to for every um, student to take a policy course. And it's really incumbent on faculty to bring um, policymakers into the classroom, provide internships for the students to go to the state house or to Congress um, and, and meet policymakers and understand the link between the policy and patient care and the link between policy and practice. Um, I teach a policy course and many of my graduate students were not fully informed that their state legislature, who did not have any nurses in it, were making the policies about their scope of practice. Hmm. So it's, um, I think a lot of it really gets to basic education and many faculty don't have that knowledge or experience either. So I think the first thing is is really on that level. Um, second, if you're working, um, states, governors have commissions in their states. I know that in most states, there are up to 300 commissions and many have vacancies. And you can go online, look at all of the commissions and see where you could be appointed to a commission. And if you reach out, I know that um, in my I'm in a, a state that is is new to me. I reached out to the director of commissions, um, gave them my background, and they said, "Gee, we could use a healthcare person on these ten commissions. Send your resume in." Hmm. And so it's a great way for nurses to learn about policy and also to have a voice without being elected to be on a commission for long term care. Um, it could be for uh, school health. It could be for uh, prisons. I mean, all of these are such important healthcare issues, and states really want nurses to be on other commissions, not just the Commission on Nursing. There are so many ways to be active. So, just from an education point of view, and also volunteering uh, to be on a commission in your state, and that other people will find you as well, and maybe say, "Gee, you'd be really great to run for office." I met you on the on the on the commission for hospital uh, staffing or workforce. So it's, it's a great way for people to kind of test the waters on uh, in policy and politics without running for election as your first jump out of the gate. Darlene, I, I was just sitting here, you know, again, kind of being a, a third party here. But how does a poly, policymaker decide about an issue when they don't have a background in that issue? I mean, you've probably been involved in some of that. I'm just thinking from healthcare. I think you said that half of the issues, was it in Maine, um, mm -hmm. were dealing with healthcare issues, according to the governor. Mm -hmm. You know, how do you decide these things? It'd be like me trying to decide what drug to use in the OR. I mean, you know, I, I don't know. I'd call Sharon and I'd phone a friend, you know, and say, hey, Sharon, what do I, what do I give this person, right? So how do they do that? Yeah, one thing, um, when you are uh, serving in a legislative body, everyone, there's expertise, right? There are financial experts, there are education experts, and there are healthcare experts. So if you're a healthcare expert, like a nurse, other legislators will say, well, Darlene, what do you think about this? I don't know anything about this issue. Please advise us mm. as an expert. 
So imagine currently the 14 states where there are no nurses. Right. There's no experts, but there, you know, the the external experts, the associations, the professional organizations write a letter, they testify, but they're not your peer as a legislator. Right. They're much more interested in listening to a professional. And if you don't have a colleague or an elected peer in your group that you respect, and this is this is a bipartisan. I mean, you're not just looking for experts who are a Democrat, if you're a Democrat or a Republican. You're looking for an expert that's a colleague of yours. Say, so, you know, I, what? tell me, what is the newest thinking? What is going on with CRNAs? I, I, like, I don't understand. Uh, I don't understand the legislation. I don't understand their scope of practice. Um, you know, can you help me with this? Figure it out. Like, give me something. As opposed to if you don't have that, um, lobbyists, external lobbyists um, become a much stronger voice mm-hmm. and sway things by giving a donation. And so this is, the, I think, the danger or the opportunity for nursing to have a voice, a professional leadership expertise voice for patients and for healthcare by being elected and not just allowing lobbyists who are making a donation to someone's campaign to say, oh, this is the latest information. We don't want CRNAs to have full scope of practice. It's really important for nurses to be serving in office and to be that voice. Right. So let's say that you have served on a commission, your name's gotten out there. And um, so what steps should you take if you're interested in running for office in 2024? Uh, The first thing you would want to do is go to your political party and talk to them. I mean, um, it's important to identify as a nurse if you're running for office, but um, politics is first. That's the way it is in, in our country. It's a party system. So if you're Republican, you go to your state Republican or your county. Um, when I decided to run, I went to my town partisan committee because I wanted to know who else might be running in my district and spoke with them. And then I went to the state and talked to them to figure out because there are some seats that might be open and say, okay, well, you know what? No one no one is running. Um, we, we already have a great candidate for the House, but the Senate seat is open in your district. So let's have you talk to the people and consider that. So you really need to go to your party first. And this is one thing that when I talk to nurses, I volunteer to help nurses run for office. And it's a step that they sort of, they are reluctant to be political. And you need to be. You also need to know um, if you voted in the last few elections. Some people are not sure or haven't voted. And that's one of the first things that your your political committee is going to look at. Say, say, darling, you haven't voted for the last five years. You know, I don't think, you know, if you're going to be a candidate, it's really important that you've done that. I mean, that wasn't the case for me, but there was another candidate who was who was running uh, in our state who was a nurse who hadn't voted, hadn't been politically active at all. And so she was not supported mm. as a candidate. So, so you need to go there first and find out what your opportunity is. If you're running, you want to put yourself in the best position where you can win. You know, I don't think a lot of people realize that if I know your name and the county you're in, 
I can tell every election you've ever voted in. Mm -hmm. Now, I can't tell, obviously, who you voted for, but I know mm -hmm. if you voted. Right. Yeah, That's it's public, public record. information. Mm -hmm. public but I don't think a lot of people think about that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I point. have a lot of feelings about people not voting in primaries. You're letting somebody else choose your candidate mm -hmm. whenever mm -hmm. you sit around and you don't vote in a primary. So what is it? It's a low number. It's like 17% of the population decide who's going to make it out of the primary. And so wow. that's the can only 17% basically are deciding candidates. Wow. Right. Wow. I think that's, that's the case in about everything. I mean, 80, 20 rule, right? Yeah. Well, that's yeah. right. That's mm -hmm. exactly right. So if you're not successful in your bid for election, um, talk about some other ways to make a difference. Right. So if, if you're not successful, many people run again. I mean, candidates run three or four times. I mean, you have to get your name out there. Um, and if you're comfortable doing that, and you know, but it may be you look at your district and there's not an opportunity. There is a really strong incumbent. Um, on the other hand, you never know what's going to happen. Like someone who's in the House might decide to run for the Senate. Someone might retire. They might get an appointment to another position. So if you decide to not seek election, um, again, serving on a commission, it, like you could do that immediately. And that would be a great way to keep your public service, civic engagement, like going, because that's your main focus, public service. Um, another way is to, because people will know you through the election, is to find out if there are any appointed positions that you could be considered for by a governor or at the federal level. And that would be reaching out to your, your representatives in Congress or the U.S. Senate. Um, they also might be able to put you on um, a commission. Um, when I was living in New York State, through networking, I was appointed to a U.S. Senator's Commission to review the Older Americans Act. Um, it wasn't anything I sought. Someone knew about the work I had done, knew that I had served in public office, and I had a call from the U.S. Senator's office. And it wasn't my political party, but he wanted a bipartisan group of people to be reviewing the Older Americans Act for Medicare and for Medicaid. And it was a wonderful opportunity to serve. There's so many ways to serve and use your nursing experience um, and expertise to improve policy. So when people aren't elected, it's really, you know, it's very difficult. Um, I lost a, my congressional race. And you just like, it doesn't feel good. No one wants to lose. And then you pick yourself up and you say, okay, remember why I ran. It was public service. So what else can I do? And it wasn't long after that, that I, you know, I, I moved to New York City and I received this call from this U.S. Senator's office. I'd never had any conversation with them and was, a bill and was able to serve. And now that I'm in Utah, I'm serving on a commission. So um, there's so much need for a nursing, nursing voice in policy and so many opportunities. So, so well, you know, I lost my race, too, and people would ask me all the time, uh, you know, yeah, I'd rather have won, but I learned a tremendous amount, and my path changed because of that loss. But above and beyond that, I mean, this, this people don't remember the people who lose. They really don't. Ask people who ran against Ronald Reagan. Ask people, who, you know, uh, nine times out of ten, 
they can't remember who the loser was. And so it doesn't stick. The The good parts about it that sticks is exactly what you've said. I've gotten other opportunities mm-hmm. because they you're almost seen as an almost member of the club. At least, mm, and and I think there's respect for putting your name on a ballot. Mm. I mean, anybody can 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 talk about it, but it takes guts to put your name on a ballot and open yourself up. And I think even when you lose, that's respected. And it's such a good point because you know, so there's seven thousand over seven thousand state legislators, so. You know, you had 1,400 people run and be willing to put their name on a sign that their family's driving by. My children, I thought they're driving by these signs with my with their name on it <laughs> on the school bus every day. Well, that's, you know, how is that, right? Um, mm-hmm. So it, it takes a lot. But on the other hand, I, you make such a good point in that how do we talk? And, and I think people, one of the reasons people don't run is they don't want to lose. And I remember thinking, what if I'm the only person that votes for me? Well, that's one vote. Okay, if I can live with that, then the public service piece will drive me to do good, right? And you have to, like, that's an internal discussion that you have to have with yourself. Like, you have to say the public service, public health is so important to me that I will, I am risking my reputation um, for that. But as you said, it opens so many doors. And I think this is such an opportunity for all of us to talk to nurses who are thinking of running about the reality of if you don't win this election, you are learning so much, as you said, Sharon. And how do we move that forward and help that person get a federal appointment or a state appointment in a governor's office so that it doesn't feel like I ran, I lost, it's over. It should be, I ran, things are better because of it. And how am I going to stay on that train? And I think we really let our colleagues down by not reaching out and helping them do something else. Like for me, failure is not an option. Like that's just my personal, and there's something else that I can do. Maybe it's not that, but it's something. And I have a responsibility to serve in some way. And it could be working on the immunization clinic. I mean, it doesn't, there is, there's opportunities to serve. And I, I just think we need to, we also have an opportunity as we, I think we need to say to nurses, if we want a, a nursing candidate on a ballot in all 50 states, goal one, goal two, we are going to have a nurse serving in every state legislature by 2030. And if you don't win, I'm going to call you that night or the next day, and we are going to work on your plan to serve and make a contribution because you have so much to offer. And I think we're Mm -hmm. really, we're not doing one or two, which we can do. Those are the easy things. Let's have those goals. But the third thing is, I think we we have a commitment to our colleagues to serve them to continue their public service journey. Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. 
Well, you know, I, just as I'm sitting here thinking about it, a lot of what I'm doing goes back to the fact that I didn't win. I wouldn't have gone to Yale. I would not have met you, darling. Uh, Jeremy and I would not have started a podcast. Mm -mm. I mean, there are just so many things I can trace mm -hmm. back that I wouldn't be doing now or have had the opportunity if I would not have lost. Or have you had you not? Yeah, right. You know, tried. And so, uh, but, and you, um, I just think we need to talk about that with people as they're going to a campaign school or they're, you know, like what's next? Because if you're sitting there in a campaign school, you know, I mean, you want to win and you think you should win because you know you're the best candidate. But there also needs to be discussion about, you know, if you don't guess what, this is still a great opportunity and look what can be next for you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What door will open because I did this? Exactly. exactly. I like that. Yeah. Exactly so, I like right. that a lot. Yeah. But I was listening to you a minute ago. You said so many people don't run because they're scared they're not going to win. Mm -hmm. So the first thing that went through my mind, well, two things, you know, one is in the beginning, you said, I'm going to run and I'm going to win. You said that a, minute, a little while ago. And secondarily, what that tells me is that their desire to win is less than their desire not to lose. Now, I would rephrase that a little bit and say, if I'm teaching that class, I'm going to say, what are we losing by not having nurses in these other 14 states? What are those people out there giving up? What subset of the population isn't being taken care of? What other organization is directing their goals, their objectives to that legislator to make them happen and foregoing all the stuff that really needs to happen to bring real change to these communities that we love and want to support? That's the way I would explain it. How to do, Sharon? Um, we'll, put, we'll put you on the curriculum. <laughs> no, but I mean, seriously, you know, I look at things very logical. But to me, that's a logical viewpoint is, yeah, you might not win. But gosh, if you don't try, then you never know what that's going to lead to in the long run. And how many people are you helping by at least trying? How many other nurses are you mm -hmm. helping? You know, you, you said, um, you know, we had 76 nurses in, in 36 states. How many ran and lost? You know, what if you doubled the amount that ran? I mean, statistically speaking, that would mean that we would have more than 76 in 36 states. You know, and then I was listening to your statistics. I mean, it was basically even Democrats and Republicans. I think it was 37, 39. You know, so that can't be it. You can't say, oh, well, I'm not a Democrat. I can't run. Or I'm not a Republican. I can't run. Because it's virtually straight down the middle. So there's opportunity there. Yeah, I Which I was surprised by those numbers. I mean, I have to be honest. I was surprised by those numbers. <clears throat> and, you know, it's it's general knowledge that I ran as a Republican. But when I went to a campaign school that's a Republican base, and I was asking some questions and talking about nurses in office, and they believed that most nurses were Democrats. Mm. So I probably did on some level, too. <laughs> well, and that's, that's, um, that's the kind of true. stuff you've got to get out uh, there because, you know, if that's really not the case, then 
wow, you know, you're alienating 50% of nurses out there. I mean, because the country's basically split down the middle. Then you've just cut mm-hmm. your pool down from 100% to 50% right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So there has to be some education around that. So, all right, Darlene. So if we've got somebody out there who's listening, they want to learn more, they, they're, they're interested in possibly running for office, what's the first thing they need to do tomorrow? First thing they need to do is to maybe um, look at the link that is going to be on your website with this data and information so that they are educated about nurses in in their states and understand um, how many nurses are serving in their states. Um, And the second thing to do is to first talk to their their family about saying that they're interested. This is a family um, Mm -hmm. discussion. It's uh, a financial discussion, depending on how much you're paid as a legislator. Um, Some family members are not comfortable at all with having their name and being involved in politics. So have a family discussion about it. And then the next thing is really, again, to reach out to your political party in your town or your county and start talking about it to people as soon as possible. Because in January, uh, partisan or parties at the committee, at the county level and the town level and the state level are already recruiting candidates. They know who's not running again, mm. potentially. Um, and they want to start filling uh, their candidate slots. And if you're the first one to step up and express interest, it's a great opportunity to be on the ground floor. Um, And they'll help you. They'll support you. They'll connect you with the party, with campaign schools. Um, But what you said, uh, Jeremy, so important about, um, and that's this goal, I was this, this call to action about saying in 2024, let's have a nurse run beyond the ballot in all 50 states. In this in November, we had nurses on the ballots in 43 states. And some are going to lose. That's just the way it is. When yeah. you, you know, one person wins, one person loses in every race. And then in 2030, let's have the goal of have a nurse elected or beforehand, but it takes time, have a, a nurse serving in all 50 states. And that means so you have a nurse on the ballot in all these 14 states where there are none even running right now. And then you double that. And then you have three nurses running in those states. And then you have four nurses running in those states. And you build a support system for the nurses to support each other to run. Um, and I think, and, and then it's just, as you said, it's a matter of numbers. The more who are running and then if half lose, that means that many more will win. So we, I think as a, as a profession, we need to make a commitment that and there will be a nursing voice in every an internal policymaker in every state, and but it, and also you you know when you summed it up, you did you did a great job in talking about the professional public service, professional commitment, and then there's the personal decision that everyone has to make about is it right for them, and I don't want to lose, and that's. But there are so many people that would be great candidates that we have to look around us and say, maybe it's not me, but I know these three great people in my state that would be fantastic candidates and fantastic public servants like Sharon that should run and could run. And I'm going to support him or her. Absolutely. To do that. Sharon, you ready? 
I'm ready. <laughs> I've seen that look before. You said it pretty confidently right there. Uh, so, I'm uh, ready. So maybe well, you know, after all of this here. I've just been through with Pierce, it's uh, it's really gotten me jacked up, ready to jump back into the pond again. Yeah. Well, why don't you, you tell a little bit about that? Because, you know, you, you've had some issues with, with health insurance companies. You know, Pierce has got some things going on. And uh, you, you've had to kind of reach out to the the top of the food chain uh, lately, haven't you? Yes, I sure have. By the time this airs, most people will already know, but Pierce has renal cell carcinoma that we started dealing with in May of twenty. Two, and he was scheduled to have robotic surgery in September and the case got canceled because they did not reserve the robot the da Vinci so they rescheduled his case for a few weeks later the tech that helps with the robot or something um, got COVID so they canceled his case my Cobra had ended at that point, and I had to get another insurance policy. So we just, his surgery got approved, and his surgery was supposed to be January the 3rd. The new insurer, they stopped providing insurance in North Carolina. We got the letter the 1st of December that they were going to not provide insurance. So we found a third insurer. And it hit me, oh, we've got to get him pre-certed, even though he start his coverage starts on the first, we need to get him pre-certed for his surgery. So we started that process. They denied him and said he should do chemo or radiation. Well, that's not the standard of care for renal cell carcinoma. He had already been approved by two other insurance companies for his surgery, and they denied him. So we appealed it. When we appealed it, we wanted an expedited appeal because at that point, it's the week of Christmas. He's supposed to have his surgery on January 3rd, and they denied his expedited appeal and said, oh, basically, you're not dying, so we'll give you a decision on January the 8th, and his surgery supposed to be on the 3rd, and he's going to a physician that's well-known for doing this procedure. People come from all over for this doctor to do their procedure. So I called the commissioner in North Carolina over insurance because I helped on his campaigns, and actually he lost like four times before he ever even won. So I got in touch with him the week of Christmas on a Sunday, and told him what was going on. And so the next day, his uh, head of consumer affairs called me. I'd already put together a timeline, everything that had happened, the letters, et cetera. I sent her a file. She sent a letter to the insurance company. And before the close of business on that day, they approved his surgery. But my question is, not everybody knows the commissioner of insurance personally right. and has that opportunity. What if you don't even understand the process? You know that you've got cancer and they've just now told you, oh, I'm sorry. Um, you can't be operated on right now. You're going to have to wait. After, you know, we got kids flying in. I take time off of work. 
all of these things. And I'm, I'm not special. Other people have to go through all of these same things. What does that mean? And think about it. What if there were nurses involved who could take these insurance companies to task and, and be helpful and know what people's lives are really like, you know, just a lot. And yeah. it, it, it's got me thinking and it's got me kind of ticked off, which is uh, <laughs> uh, so, uh, somewhere where I, I work from that makes me work harder. So you never know what might happen now, but yeah. I'm just super fortunate that I knew the right people, but not everybody does. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of... Yeah, and that's of- part of constituent service if you're a nurse legislator, because one thing you said about, and I would just say, if I was your legislator, I would say, Sharon, you are special and your husband's care is special. And it's important to me. And once I knew your case, if a legislator calls the commissioner of insurance in the state, they call you right back. And that is why it's critically important to have internal nurse advocate policymakers, because they have a direct line and the commissioner of insurance or medical practice or the president of the hospital or whatever will always respond to a legislator's outreach. And it's just a perfect example of having someone there for people who do not know what to do next, people would call me, my constituents say, I don't know what to do next. My right. husband needs oxygen. My wife, it needs respite. And there's no spots for her. Mm. And I could immediately, I could say, okay, let's get the information. And I'm going to get back to you um, in two days. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and Sharon, I listened to what you just said. You know, you said standard of care. I mean, your average person out there, they have no idea what that means. What does that mean, standard of care? If the doctor says it, who's making that decision, or the insurance company, they've got my best interest at heart, right? Maybe I should have chemo. Right. Well, it right? was a pediatrician who made the decision <laughs> for the case. Yeah. yeah a pediatrician. I don't know that many children who have renal cell carcinoma. Um so I'm not real sure what his expertise level was um, in that. But anyway, all is resolved and everything's going to be fine. It just certainly makes me worry about Joe Q public and how they don't know anything about healthcare. And, you know, you talked about the governor telling you that that healthcare is in 50% of the policies. I would challenge you to think there's health in all policies Mm. if you don't have a car to get to your uh, doctor's appointment well that's a problem or if there's no sidewalks where you can walk to somewhere safely your doctor's appointment that could be a problem so I think there's Mm. health in all policies out there wow what a great way to end us Sharon there's health in all policies I love it there you go. Well, darling, we <laughs> want to thank you for being on the show with us today. And, and thank you for all you're doing out there to support not only nurses, but you're, you're supporting your constituents. You're supporting the people out there who either don't know or aren't asking the right questions. You're there and you're doing things about it. And uh, as the old saying goes, you're putting your money where your mouth is. Um, you've done it. 
Sharon, you've done it. I just wonder how many people that are listening to us right now would put their money where their mouth is. That could be a challenge. Right, Sharon? Absolutely. I thought you went to sleep on me there for a second, you know. No, actually, my 91-year-old mother-in-law <laughs> just stuck her <laughs> opened up the door, and I'm trying to weigh her <laughs> off. <laughs> All right. Well, again, Darlene, thank you again. And uh, Sharon, I'm going to say that's a wrap. I think so. Well, if you like our show and want to help us grow, Sharon, how can they help us grow? Well, the best way to help us grow is to leave us a review, but make it positive. We all know there's enough negativity out there in this world. Jesus, I was wondering if you had a stroke there or something. You were a little slow. Was I? Oh. You know, we're in the top. <laughs> we're in the top 50 medical podcasts in the country on the way to number number one, just like we are in the CRNA community. And, uh, you know, Sharon, I think we're going to hit that. Uh, I believe we're on it our way. because Darlene taught I me believe. something. She believed that she was going to win no matter what. I believe that we're going to be number one. Okay. Well, right. I like it. All right. So until next time. It's a wrap. As a CRNA, you spend years preparing yourself for this career, so we don't want to see you lose out on any of the income you've worked so hard to earn. The best way to protect yourself and give you the confidence that a major life event won't disrupt your financial future is through disability insurance. We've known disability income specialist Robert Smith for many years and have seen the work he's done with nearly 2,000 CRNAs over multiple decades. He can help identify any gaps in your existing coverage and fill those gaps by finding the best value on a policy. Contact Robert and let him know you heard about him on our podcast. Send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com. Or call him at 504-394-6557. Protect your greatest asset as a CRNA, yourself and your ability to earn a living by adding disability insurance to your financial plan. Today's show is brought to you by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services, customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855-304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, President of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and President and Founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment, or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible, and we would appreciate your support.
Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group.